Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The thing about it is like, yeah, nobody's died from a feeling. You're going to have a feeling. You're going to maybe feel embarrassed or ashamed or uh, all the feelings, but you can just surf them. Just stay with them. They're going to have a beginning and a middle and an end. Real feelings outside of story last about 90 seconds. So when we say resource, using your resource of like, just ride this out. You don't have to do anything. It'll pass. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, everyone. I'm Ann Kelly, and I am here not in the studio with my co-host, Sue Marriott. Hey, Sue. Hey, we're going to experiment with doing some YouTube video. So we had to separate ourselves, but we can see each other while we're talking and we are going to more formalize our YouTube channel and try to get this really cool science out to even more people. If you've just found us on YouTube, hello, hang out with us. It's a good time. Tons of great content. And we've got an exciting new launch today. We did a series and it was really popular, and people seemed to like that we did a deep dive on a particular topic. Right. That one was called Holding Your Own, and it was a deep dive into, you know, like borderline personality, narcissistic personality, basically difficult personalities. Yes. Yeah, so trying to help you hold yourself in that process if it was you're with somebody or it is you. And we enjoyed going to a deep dive. So now we're going to do another series, and this time we're going to do a series on looking at our own defenses. That's right. Disarming Human Defensiveness, a deep dive series. The reason that we needed to do a series is because there are a zillion defenses. <laughs> and when we are at our best, you don't need a podcast. You don't need to learn anything. You don't need to disarm anything. But it's when we begin to feel a little defended, a little threatened, that all of our junk comes out. So that's what we're interested in is making friends with and coming to understand more and more how that we armor up and how to disarm, basically. Because it is the defenses that get in our way so often. And I think the hardest part about our defenses is most of them we're totally unaware of. It's a joke of nature. <laughs> I agree. Say more about that. Well, just like it makes us dumb. Like, you know, when we, I mean, I understand that, you know, all the resources go to defending ourselves because we feel threatened. And so we stop caring about the other person or coming, caring about how we come across or caring about ugh, the damage five minutes later after I say my thing <laughs> because we're just really caught in armor, basically. Right. And 
Where we can be the most aware is when we know we're in our defense, we're fighting, right? When we know when we're fighting, we know we are, whether we're one that maybe talks too much or one that shuts it down and walks away. I mean, most of us can recognize those kind of patterns, but we're also talking about defenses that are there with us every day that we're unaware of and we don't know that exist that are blocking our connection from one another or blocking our own ability to feel happy in different types of our relationships or even our work or our professions. So the frame that we're going to be using is a frame that Ann and I have talked some about in the podcast, not too much. We've also written some about, and we call it the three R's. Basically, this isn't like steps to secure secure attachment or anything like that. And it's also not linear. It's not like one and then the other and then the other, and it's just that one direction. Think of it more kind of like a corkscrew, like we become more aware. So the three R's are recognize, reflect, and rewire. And the reason that we find that helpful is to Basically, that recognized portion, if somebody is not self-reflective, they're not interested in their inner life, they're not interested in other people's inner life, none of this stuff matters. It's going to be very easy to just say, that was a long time ago, move along, there's nothing to see here. So literally, the very first step is even gaining that like, aha, a little bit of that, oh, there's more here than meets the eye. And I care and I'm interested in these little things in my body that are evolutionary data that can actually make me much smarter in the world. It's not smart to ignore half of the information coming at us relationally. So, you know, this is just a quick overview, but the very first one is just beginning to open up to that interest and beginning to get better and skilled at recognizing what's going on in someone else's mind and what's going on in your own and your body and your heart and your soul, really. And that is, I think, the very hardest step. So one of the reasons we're going to start with that step to recognize it's also a step around self-awareness is that once you can do that, the next steps, even though they're hard, they seem to more naturally flow. So first of all, you've got to recognize there's something there. And the next thing we want to do is hold that, hold that awareness and then reflect on it. Well, have you noticed like in therapy and also just between you and I, this happens is like, you know, you're trying to give somebody something, you're trying to give somebody something and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it, got it, got it, got it. And then something happens and there's an internalization of it. And then it's entirely different. So instead of, for example, somebody coming in and just talking about the reenactment that happens over and over and over and that we're sort of troubleshooting that, they're coming in saying like, oh, I caught myself doing that thing again. And now we are like on fire. Like that's when things kind of really begin and get fun. And you can feel the difference, can't you? When somebody's like recognize, yes, I know I'm late. I mean, I know I've been late a lot. I'm, it's okay, but I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Like you can feel the difference between an awareness of something and a quick, I'm sorry. Yes, I did that. And the ability to reflect on it. It's a really deeper step. Like what you're saying is when you feel somebody go, wow, I wonder what that's about. Like, you're right. It's not just the traffic, (laughs) right? It's not always just the traffic. It always just your scheduling. People arrive exactly when they mean to. And so like, just that's a great example because this happens in group all the time. It's like, what? You know, there was, I had to do such, I had to drop off a thing before I got here. So that's the one first level where there's no exploration. There's no curiosity versus it's like, and in addition to the extra traffic, you know, if there was something, what else may have led to this pattern of being late? Where that can lead to is somebody begins to go like, well, it feels like wasting time if I'm here early. And then it goes a little deeper. Well, it's super awkward if I'm just sitting here and we're all sitting in silence. And then it might go a little deeper, like, ooh, being early and 
not knowing if you're going to come or I suddenly get scared that I'm going to be left hanging in my need. And we can just begin to peel the layers around and you still get to have the traffic, but it's just a little bit more of a deeper curiosity and wondering around what else is happening here relationally. And so not only does that step really help you like grow individually, because now you're all of a sudden going, wait, you're kind of right. I am always late. And like, what is going on? You can feel the difference in your body just as you're giving that example, right? Like when somebody else does that with you, how much you relax. You're like just the moment of curiosity that says, you know, you're right. Let me think about that. And then it could also lead to now that I think about it, it's not just group I'm late for. It's like this thing. I have a hard time. So now we're going to expand it and we're going to deepen that reflection to think about that feedback in a broader sense of our lives. Here's one of the tells about that. Like it goes from, it's fine for me to be late. Other people are late too. Why does nobody say anything about this person being late? Like in other words, the curiosity feels critical or attacking or judgmental, but there's some shift that begins to happen. It's like, no, it's, it's you know, we're, we're just interested. It's not, we're not trying to get you behaviorally to not be late. It's more of, we just want to know you better. And we want to help you know you better to apply some meaning to being late. And it's such a dumb example because I imagine people listening and eye rolling and being like, oh, seriously, these guys are just so harsh about people being on time. It's like, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, no, 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 not at all. This is just a benign example of a benign event that we're working to move from the concrete to a more reflective place around, mm, you know, maybe I was upset about something you said last week and I'm a little nervous today. So, you know, I come sliding in because it's just, I'm a little anxious. That's interesting. No, that is completely interesting. And as people are out there thinking about that kind of reflection and no, 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 like the reality is what makes that step even harder out there in the real world is it is pissing me off that you're late, right? Like I'm not this reflective group member going, no, 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 I'm just caring about you and why you're late. I'm like sick of waiting for you and sick of, like, you know what I mean? So what makes the next part of recognizing two points of reflection make it go well or not well, is like the dissemination of that feedback probably isn't coming out in this like sweet reflective group therapy way. They're like, I am so sick of it. So now you can feel why the defense is going up because you're going to get feedback in a way sometimes that kind of sucks. And it really brings us back to the neurobiology. So part of what happens are these circuits. And so when Anne's coming at me and I can feel a little bit of her anger. It's totally appropriate. My higher brain would be like, yeah, I've put her in this bad situation. But my back of my brain is going to recognize, oh no, there's something wrong. This person who I love and care for deeply is not happy with me. That feels threatening. And so it's not going to put me at my best to be this like law Zen person. I'm going to want to convince you that you're wrong or that no, I'm not always late, which is exactly why we're doing this series is how can we step out of those kinds of automatic reactions, and move to a more connected place. So how do we do that, Anne? Tell us all about it. <laughs> but then why do we do it? Let's talk about the why. Let's talk about the last R, because we're gonna, that's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about helping you recognize. So we're going to talk about some of the common ones and then help you get more insight on it, move you to a deeper, hopefully help you move to a step of reflection. And why are we going to do that? Because we want to get to that last step, and it's one of the most pertinent ones, and that's rewiring. So we're going to recognize that we do this, increase our awareness. Then we're going to reflect and hold that space. 
And then the idea of rewiring, and here's an interesting thing. We're going to keep using the silly example that I started with and being late, right? It's actually not. It's a big deal for many people. But the rewiring could be recognizing if you're always late and then reflecting on it. It's interesting. You might notice the anxiety of what it's like to not take up every single second of productive space before you walk out the door. Or you might recognize, like what you said, arriving early. Maybe it reflects something. Neediness or dependency. Yeah. So past that reflection space where, like, actually, I think being late is there for me as a pattern because, and I get that reflection. The interesting thing is then I could start noticing the anxiety in myself when, okay, I'm going to leave early. That sounds theoretically good. Oh, I'm just, I'm going to quit being late. And so I'm going to start leaving 20 minutes. I'm just making that decision, right? How many times do we do that? And then it doesn't lead to that change. Well, that's because your body just kicks in and does its autopilot, right? So if you are reflecting and you recognize it, you might then start to notice the threat or the anxiety of leaving on time or the feeling of wasted space that you're having. And that's the point where we can start to rewire that. And once we move into this more curious place where, where it's not judgmental, it's not you're bad if you're late. So you feel safer to go like, what does it mean? I can see that like right now I want to stop and get my Diet Coke before I go to the thing, but that is going to put me late, but I really want my Diet Coke or whatever. But because that I'm not in threat about it and I'm just noticing, wait, I could be on time if I just pass up this convenience store, that it leaves room for me to think about the impact that I'm having on other people. If I'm not reflective, then I'm just going to push you off. It's like, oh, come on. You, I'm always late. Just just come five minutes later. You know, the other quick thing I want to say is we keep using late, but this is just as applicable for somebody who's compulsively early. It's still meaningful. Again, it's not bad. It's not good. It just means something. And we're trying to get you to move from the concrete, like, it's wrong to be late, you know, like being early is on time, just from the concrete to like, what's the meaning of it? And if you were late, could you imagine being held by the other person? Like, it's okay that you're late. They know you're coming. Everybody's okay. You don't have to be the one to hold on. Either one, you can unfold it into something that could help you feel a greater sense of relational security by thinking not only of your own concrete habits, but of your impact on other people and just being able to question them and be curious about them. And I could imagine people listening out there with some defense. Our audience is not defensive. (laughs) They're brilliant and smart and they've got this stuff. Absolutely. I can imagine people out there going, oh my God, who cares if you're late or early? Why are we going to think so hard about this stuff? Really chill out, right? Right, right. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Why are you thinking so hard about this? But that, by the way, is one of our defenses that we're going to come up. And that would be a way of being dismissing. If I'm late, tough, if you don't want to wait for me, don't wait for me. Like this whole really flip it. I'm not, and and that's a sign if we have to rush in, oh my God, that's ridiculous. So if you're out there throwing that, we're going to be talking to you in one of these episodes. (laughs) Listen up. (laughs) Listen up. Because it's a natural thing to do. But what we want to notice is that when we slow down and we start to piece out things that do impact you, and by the way, impact those people in your life. So if you are impacting somebody in your life and going, oh, good God, get over it. There is a defense system happening in you that we really want to help you recognize and walk through it. Yeah. Even like 
we know this stuff and we are right in the middle of it, y'all. It's not like we're finished. <laughs> we are in the middle of it. And sometimes we, we just laugh because we're doing the exact thing. <laughs> you know, it's like a parenting teacher. You know, I can tell you all the great things to do, but then when my kid does the thing, then I'm like, ah, put your clothes on or whatever it is. <laughs> it all goes right out the window. So we really are working. This is where Ann was talking about the rewire and really doing it. One of the things about rewire that's so hard is that it's experiential. That's where all of our somatic therapists, our EMDR, the body-oriented therapy, and then just new relationships and new safe relationships. The way that you heal, like so let's say you're in therapy, it's not the wise advice that your therapist gives you in truth. You know, we kind of want that, like, well, what do I do? You know, and then as if this person who doesn't know us that well, you know, hasn't been in our shoes for our 50 years or however long can give us some wise advice. That happens occasionally, but that's really not where the change happens. The change happens when my body begins to more and more relax with this other human being and begin to feel trust and begin to form this relationship, that's the bottom up rewiring of like, oh, I can say this thing that I'm so ashamed of and that I've hidden forever and you're going to know it about me and still care about me and see me more fully and I feel more known. That is rewire. That's the beauty, man. That's the gold. That's where we're going. If your heart beats a little bit and you're nervous, you're in great shape. It means you're, that's your growing edge right there. And if your heart doesn't beat at all and you're not nervous at all. <laughs> I think you're dead. <laughs> no, no. To start off our series, one of the things I think would be helpful for us to talk about is that we're going to start talking, like we said, about different defenses. But because we are defended, it'd be hard maybe to recognize some of them. Like maybe we name a defense and we say passive aggressiveness. And you're like, I'm never passive aggressive. I'm not going to listen to that episode. Like, that's not me, you know, or possibly being in self-righteousness. Like, so there's some defenses that we do that are so ingrained in who we are that we don't see them as defenses. So it would be unrealistic for us to really know, hey, does this a defense apply to me? Because in that context, it may be an unconscious. Oh, this is great, Anne, because if we're saying, oh, that's not me, you know, whatever, we're already defensive a little bit. So the capacity to explore and like, oh, I want to learn about my relationship with aggression, which we'll be talking about on this series, and how I hold aggression, how I respond to aggression, even if I think I'm fine with it, that's the prefrontal cortex. And that's when you're in this more secure place that we've talked about, where it's like, maybe so, maybe not. And even if it doesn't directly apply to me, I can still learn something and I can learn how to help disarm someone else when I see them in that space. And what we want to do is use the three R's as we start to talk about the different defenses. So you're, we're going to come back to that step ladder when we talk about the different defenses so that you have the process of what to do about it. Right. So what are the three R's? The first R is, did you get it? Recognize. Yes. <laughs> just so that we can like let them fill it in, you know, for just a second. The se recognize, which is even just like copying to the idea of these inner lives and being interested and curious about it. Second step reflecting. There you go. I'm saying this to y'all, not to Anne, because I know Anne knows this stuff. But so that's the juice. That's the fun. That's the middle stage of like sorting out what's live in Memorex. And then the third is... Sue, I hate to tell you that's mostly not fun, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's not often fun to do that reflection. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. Yeah. You're yeah. right. That's when you're open to looking at why you are right. defended, which almost always involves pain. But when you're in that space, it's pain, but it's good pain. It's good pain. 
actually, that's how you're going to know when you're really doing it is when it becomes less threatening and more rewarding. Right. Or the pain being productive instead of the pain of just shutting people out and being pissed off. That's painful if you could let yourself feel it. (laughs) But that's not the good pain. The good pain is when you're actually then beginning to belly up to some of this stuff. And then just to hit that last R, which is? Rewire. Right. So by y'all getting more active in our conversation here, it's just going to help you remember. Let's talk about the first stage of self-awareness. You know, why are we so bad at it? First of all, it's really important to know that I'm bad at it. Sue's bad. We're all bad at (laughs) self-awareness. Well, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) Let me put it a different way. We're never as good as we think we are. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's actually a really good handhold is that we always overestimate our own self-awareness and our own position almost always. And when I sometimes when I think of that, it actually helps me become a little more humble. <laughs> it's true. Like, it, it's, we just overestimate it, you know? Like, we think we're more aware of ourselves. Some people are out there are like, oh, I don't think I'm aware of myself at all. So good on you. But a lot of us overestimate our self-awareness. And that's one reason why we're so bad at recognizing some of our own defenses. And so I think for the rest of this episode, I want to tap on how to help people prepare for the series. Let's talk about how to increase your self-awareness, just the awareness, the recognition of what is your defenses. And that way, then as you go through it, you'll have a little bit more ears perked up. One of the reasons it's hard is because we want to maintain a positive self-view and we want to believe in what our values are and that we won't be incongruent, even though we all are. But one of the ways to recognize it first is to ask yourself a few questions and then ask others. So let's start with... Yeah, what would be a good question to ask? Here's one that I think I can use for myself. What are the things that drive you the most crazy about other people? Like when you think about it, it's like, oh my God, when other people do... Neediness. (laughs) (laughs) And and not my people, not my people, but like when... Entitlement, that's that's a better word. Entitlement drives me crazy. Yes, entitlement drives you crazy. So if you to recognize that, For me, it would be similar, but a little bit different. It would be selfishness. Like selfishness just irritates the daylights out of me. Like somebody's just so self-centered or they won't hold their social weight or something. Like they're just being in themselves and they're not thinking of others. So if you stop to think about it, or maybe for you out there, it's that you can't stand it if people are irrational, you know, and that just drives you crazy. Let's just look at the rational. If we think about a few things as we're talking, what are the things that drive you the most crazy? And think about it because that is likely one of the biggest reflections of your own defense. And even if it's not, just go with us for a minute on this, that it is often a disowned part of ourself. It was something that we had to crush in ourselves so that we could maintain our own attachment relationships and stay safe early on. So do you want to go first or should I go first about my entitlement and your self uh, <laughs> selfishness? I'll go first. I think that that whole selfishness, I think it kind of also then reflects my struggle sometimes of not being tuned in to others and then being more deeply in tune to my own selfishness. And that sounds nicer than it is. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. That was confusing to me. Okay. So like, I think for me, I struggle with being able to grab my own self and my own selfishness, like to be able to own my own selfishness. Right. And why? I mean, just roughly. I think through my history, part of what kept me safe is 
tuning into others and making sure the environment was safe, tending to things that needed to be tended to under recognition of my own self. Tuning your self-awareness down and then other awareness up to survive. Right. So when other people are doing it, I can't tolerate it. And yet we all need our inner selfishness, our inner awareness of it. I have it just as much as anybody else. You know, we talk about like how women are given such this belief that if they're selfless, it's like the, oh, and it's not. That's just BS. And it's irritating. My daughter's the first one to call me on it sometimes about the irritating quality of over caretaking the room. So when other people are just out there and completely unaware and not taking any social weight for the room, it drives me crazy. It just irritates me. But if I slow down to go, wait, why is that irritating me? Why is it the thing that drives me crazy? Then it allows me to recognize and just start to do that first step. Oh, I think that might be one of my own defenses. So there's my example. That's a great example. And then also just to take it a little bit further, then now you're in the position of beginning to look at your own caretaking and then create that pause rather than doing it and learning what's in that space, which again, that's where it gets more vulnerable. That gets really hard. That's going to be a defense we talk about and we'll digest it and we'll take it through the three R's. But first, be aware of it. If I just recognize that it irritates the daylights out of me. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So we're, we're not going to the other steps. Okay. We're just okay. Like, all right. All like, right. Like, don't I go gotcha. fixing me yet, girl. <laughs> I got <gotcha. laughs> Okay. We'll, we'll go down to that. Re- she likes yeah. to rush that I, reflection I, I, True. It's true. I, I've been told them can be. Yeah. Okay. So, so right. then on mine, entitlement. And when I said neediness before, y'all, I'm so proud of my, any of my people, kids, clients, people close to me that can feel their vulnerability. I'm not talking about that. Just to be super clear, I feel pride when people can get in touch with their neediness in reality. But there's another part of me for sure. And that's why I shifted it to entitlement because it's not actual like vulnerability that again, is the good pain. It's the entitlement so without fixing me yet or reflecting yet about why, I don't know where the one ends and when the other begins, but basically I'm definitely aware that entitlement is a, I don't know if we call it a trigger, but basically it's, I have a stronger negative reaction to entitlement than I do to other just normally irritating qualities. That's a good way to put it because we could all be irritated with entitlement. But if you have a particularly strong... It's particularly strong. Then you want to be curious. So for you, entitlement is particularly strong, activating thing for you. So for now, with just this first self-awareness, that's enough. I can begin to just notice right now that that's a particular note. When that note on the keyboard of feelings gets hit, I have a little bit of an elevated reaction. So that's already something. I don't even have to yet unpack it. I really like your correction earlier um, (laughs) because this is hard and like, let's just stay right here. And so for you guys listening out there, so I, I mentioned another example, so I'll just throw one out there and that is people being irrational. Like, oh my God, like, would you just think through it and look at the rational answer? It drives me crazy that everybody, when they get into the irrational thing, I know the answer. Would you just listen to me? Then you wouldn't feel that. So if that's something that drives you crazy, slow down. Because what you said earlier, Sue, was awesome. And that is, it's what we had to really de-escalate in ourselves. We had to push down in ourselves. So if you're that rational one out of there, that the threat or your defense may be around feelings, about the experience of irrational, the experience of things that don't make sense. Because the world doesn't make sense. And that's painful. And if you've had to make sense of it in order to be safe, then being rational is 
something that's really, really important to you. We spent more time on this, partly just because I'm so familiar with it, about how that it feels so good not to be aware of our uncertainty. And that it's very self-reinforcing to just be like, oh, that's stupid. And then we're done and we don't have to feel our vulnerability. So again, just let us just keep tapping on that challenge. You know, another thing about self-awareness that I was thinking was, just like that. So I was saying like, it's no big deal. Just move on. Like, you know, like if I'm saying that and I'm, I'm moving my hand away, like, you know, that's the that's dismissive action, then I'm never going to want to look at it. As a matter of fact, I have incentive not to look at it because it's much more vulnerable to look at it. So one of the key ingredients to get to self-awareness is actually some level of distress. Like if people around me aren't letting me know that I'm dismissing them or not interested in their lives or that they're that I'm causing a bad feeling, then I'm going to be pretty set and happy. <laughs> I'm going to think I am. I'm not going to know what I'm missing. And I will have a little bit of an incentive to not listen if somebody kind of taps me just a little bit. So if you're in the position of the person who isn't saying enough, like because of your own reasons, like, oh, I'm afraid of causing a feeling in the other person. <laughs> If you're not being able to give them enough distress, like don't hold the distress by yourself, push it back between the two of you so that now it's a relational dynamic of like, look, I get that you get mad, but when you get mad, you yell and that scares me and it has an impact on me. And then they're like, oh, well, you should just, that's because blah, blah, blah. And then you say it again later. And then you say it again, like you have to keep holding out there. Like you can keep yelling and I'm going to begin to just take a little more space. Like you begin to tighten the screws a little bit about, no, this distress needs to be in your body, not just my body. And I think that to help people use that in the awareness phase to becoming aware, like one of the reasons, like it's not just what things drive you crazy, but what things are you afraid of? So we talked about increasing your awareness, but like what drives you crazy? And what I hear you saying is like, sometimes it's like, what holds you back? What inhibits you? So if you can think of maybe the three things that drive you crazy, but also what are the things that inhibit you that you want to avoid, that you tend to find yourself repetitively avoiding? Because our defense is about repetition. It's not a single event. It's repetition. This might be a good time to just separate out. Not everything is defensive. So if like, say, for example, if I'm a little more introverted, if my metronome is a little slower than the pace of other people's metronome and I want to avoid crowds, for example, we're not calling that defensive. So how could we tell the difference between just that really gentle, oh, no, this is who I am and I'm not defending against closeness versus something that is, I really want to go to this event, but I'm so socially awkward and scared that just forget it. I don't want to go. I'm going to stay home and play my video games. One of the biggest things that we'll be talking about in this series is that distinction. But I would say in that, what is feeling threatening? Is there a threat to going or is the, there's this experience of when I think about going, I experience a threat in my body versus I really feel the content in staying. And sometimes that's hard to distinguish, right? Because if our anxiety is so high, we might have disconnected our desire to be around people, which is a different dynamic. But is there a threat of closeness or is there, when I think about it, and sometimes it takes looking at our history, it's not always an easy answer, is it? No, not at all. And another thing that I think has been helpful in sorting this out is like, which move is about self-care? Which move feels like kindness and caring to oneself and one's relationships. And so in that example, knowing that I'm going to get overwhelmed and I'm not going to be good for anybody else anyway, 
I'm tired from my week and I really need to stay home and recharge. That to me feels like self-love, self-care, self-awareness, kindness, self-compassion. Staying away from those bastards who want to talk to me, <laughs> you know, or just like those needy people, who, just whatever like that actual avoidance is. Again, maybe it's hard to tell. And I think it probably is hard to tell, but that would be a good question is, is this self-compassion or is this just fear or is this just avoidance, you know, isolation? And that's definitely then we're talking about becoming aware of self and then reflecting. And in the reflection process, you'll probably learn a lot about whether you're experiencing it as a defense. Right. Were there other questions? If we think about it, there's different types of self-awareness, there's awareness of our own self, what triggers us, what motivates us, what inspires us. So there's self-awareness, and then there's the external self-awareness, and we don't want to forget that part. And the external self-awareness is how do other people, how do other people experience us? It's not just how we experience the world, but how do other people experience us? So one of the things you would want to think about is what's the feedback that I tend to get? Is it a frequent complaint? Like if you're in a partnership, is there a, there's likely, if you've been in a relationship for longer than two years, there should be. There longer than two is. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is going to be a repetitive complaint, a repetitive dynamic that's happening. And we get stuck in that, chasing our tails in that. So what is, stop for a second and think, what, if I was to piece apart, what is the repetitive argument or the repetitive feedback I'm getting from my partner or from my sibling or from my friends. Yeah. Think about exes. <laughs> you know, what were some of the takeaways from their perspective? Now, another thing, when, when you were saying like intra-awareness versus external intra-awareness, again, we, just to touch on the neurobiology for a minute, because this takes us to mindfulness, which is part of self-awareness and creating that pause. So there's the pause of doing your own body scan where we're looking for all of the physical, how our body physically feels, attitudinal, what's my, how am I showing up? What's the weather in there? And then what am I feeling? All of those things about my immediate space. That's one kind of awareness. But the second kind of awareness, you went to the interpersonal, which is exactly. So it's then it's things that are beyond our physical space, which is a different kind of awareness. And moving into that present moment and that kind of awareness of where I'm sitting, the space that I'm sitting in, my community, all of Texas and what Texas is dealing with, like that kind of awareness is another kind of awareness that does tie in exactly to, and how am I doing with you in this conversation? So now I'm aware of how are we doing together? How are we doing through the neuro Wi-Fi that we talk about? And what you're saying. So being reflective of what is the feedback that you get. And if you think, well, I don't actually get a lot of feedback. That's something to be reflective on. So the thing is, is you would want to ask, ask individuals. And it's hard to do that. Oh, it's terrifying. It is terrifying to do it. And it's sometimes terrifying for other people to give feedback. But what would be the question? Maybe the question would be, what do you see as my particular strength? in our relationship? And what are our two points of growth that you would hope for? Ask for the strength, ask for hopes of growth. How about one, one point of growth? <laughs> okay. I, I think you need a little bit more information, but if it's scary to ask and you get one point of growth, that's great. But what are points of growth? And what's going to be hard is to really take that in. So what we're going to encourage you at this stage in the series 
is just listen to the feedback. Right. Well, that's why I said one, <laughs> just because it's like, this is hard. It's hard to ingest. And this is probably new information. Another question that I might like is like, do we have any unfinished business? Is there a loose end between us? Is there something that you haven't told me that hurt your feelings or insulted you or anything that you probably wouldn't normally tell me, but I'm kind of looking for that information. And that's really vulnerable on their part. So if I said, well, actually, Anne, remember that time six years ago when you da 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 model a response? Well, I could feel like it brings up a stress in my body. Like, remember, yeah, well, actually, the time six months ago, it's like, so part of the response, first of all, it made me think about when you do this, you might start with, this is hard for me. If it's hard for me, if it's hard for you, be honest. Like, I'm going to ask you for this, and this isn't the time that I want to go work on it. I just want the information. So what yeah, I would a bullet suggest point, is that, a bullet point, not an yes, essay. Yes. I would suggest that you actually start with that. This isn't, I'm not actually wanting to work through this. What I'm trying to do is just gather information. And so it helps. I mean, maybe if a conversation is going really well and you want to go deep and it feels safe, then great. But if it already starts to hit your defenses and you want to argue back, like I actually don't do that. Model for us what it would look like. So I tell you this thing that you said, that you really did say, but you didn't know that it hurt my feelings. Maybe the deeper question would be, so that hurt your feelings. Can you tell me more about it? Right. That, I think that that's your move. So if somebody's beginning to give you feedback, here are some don'ts. Don't explain. Don't tell. Don't come at them. Like I think your very first move should be receptive. So you want to ask more. Like, tell me more. Have I done that before? How often do I do it? How much does it bother you? Blah, blah. Keep them talking. If you can stay in a regulated place, just get it, let them get it all out. Because what you're doing just by asking questions, that's already reparative. If Anne were to say, oh my gosh, well, you've been sitting on that a long time. Like, tell me more. And I got to say more about my embarrassment that I'm even holding on to it. Like, if I can get it all out and she's still standing, she doesn't have to make it go away. She doesn't have to fix it. Like just the act of helping me talk about it and her really taking that in. And if you don't know what to say, what I would say is like, well, I really want to think about that. I'm not quite sure how to respond, but I really am hearing you and I want to just take some time. And that way you're not on the spot where that like you have to suddenly be empathic or suddenly do anything other than you ask questions you let you appreciate them for taking the risk to say something to you. And that's enough. You also might feel really threatened. You might notice in your body as they're saying that, because what often happens is I'm now thinking, of course I said that. Did you not know that you did blank right before I said that? <laughs> and you're complete, you've been sitting here for six years with that. And do you not, re I remember this really clearly. Right. And this is right, why I said it. <laughs> right before I, I said that you did blank. And so that's the narrative. That's the initial narrative running in my body. Like none of us go into that reflective state always or easily, right? So if you find that happening, if you're not able to do what Sue was just saying and like say, tell me more, because that would be ideal if you're able to kind of digest it in your body that you want and need this feedback. If you find your defense going up, but you really do want to hear, I think it's okay to name it to say, I'm finding myself having a hard time hearing this. Yeah, you know what? That's not how I talk. This is how I talk at most. If I'm doing well, is I'll just say, uh, I think I'm getting kind of full. 
I'm getting kind of full. I'm getting kind of full. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it sounds really good, but I'm just trying to be realistic, right? Well, I guess what I'm asking you to say to yourself, so saying to yourself, you recognize this tension in your body and you could speak it like, wow, I'm finding myself getting really defensive and you could really feel it. Go ahead and name it, take a deep breath and say, whew, this is hard. And just say, look, I'm just going to hear and I'm like, I don't have to do anything about it. So tell yourself that this isn't the end of it. One of the things you have to say to yourself sometimes is I can tolerate this because the defensiveness will be really uncomfortable. But if we can actually tolerate that, that's one step. So just hear it, hear it, walk away. You may disagree with it, but then you're going to be a little bit more informed because another question could be, is this a pattern? Do you see this? So then when we are going through some of the defensive strategies, you might go, the thing about that threat and you're saying I have resource, the thing about it is like, yeah, nobody's died from a feeling. You're going to have a feeling. You're going to maybe feel embarrassed or ashamed or uh, all the feelings, but you can just surf them. Just stay with them. They're going to have a beginning and a middle and an end. Real feelings outside of story last about 90 seconds. So when we say resource, using your resource of like, just ride this out. You don't have to do anything. It'll pass. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. What we're saying is resource that you can feel that tension. You don't have to rebuttal. Believe it or not, your identity is not going to get lost and you don't have to prove you're not an ass. And that's why often we want to defend is we like, I did that thing that hurt your feeling only because you did something, right? That's all about defending ourselves. So the point is that the, you've asked for this feedback because it's going to help you be self-reflective. And the point is it may not be easy to hear. So ask for feedback. This is a lot, actually. We're just setting you up to be able to be, you know, ready to kind of, and you might already know your defenses too. So, you know, you might know some of the more common ones. That's right. And while we're doing this, we really want to encourage a practice of journaling. If you don't have a mindfulness practice, it's a great time to just begin to explore it. We've got a ton of mindfulness stuff on the show. I use Headspace as just a, the beginning of like getting me going. There's so much out there about mindfulness and we follow like the cutting edge neuroscience to the T and it's mindfulness, mindfulness, sleep, mindfulness, sunshine. You know, there's certain things that like trigger certain neurochemicals in our body. But if there's one thing you could do, because what mindfulness is going to do is it's going to help you give that pause. So like when Anne's giving me feedback and I want to like, uh, yeah, but, but, but that like if I can just create the pause, it's kind of like, you know, when you write an email, almost always if you hold and then come back, you almost always edit it. So you don't necessarily want to have an unedited noise coming out in our words. The pause gives us that chance to reflect and to edit. So using mindfulness, creating the pause, and then the body scans and stuff. These are all part of self-awareness. Yes, I love it. Give us feedback on how this is going. On YouTube, you're actually going to be able to comment right directly on the video. So we want to hear from you and we're paying attention and we look forward to continuing this conversation. All right. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.